Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, cost-effective, and fun way to expand your online reach. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to promote, track, and launch your podcast. Your show can be listed on all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. You can be listed on such directories as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters just like myself who are already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Follow the link in the show notes below to get started. This lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you. You will receive a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up with a paid plan and you're helping support the show. Don't let fear hold you back and let's create something great together on Buzzsprout. Welcome to the show today, guys. My name is Carl, the host and the creator of the Drunken Worm podcast. And today is the big episode, episode 20. We have finally made it to 20. So excited to be bringing in the year 2022 with this amazing episode. And I'm so excited about our guest today. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her here in a minute, but, um, you know, just want to take a little uh, care of some housekeeping tips here. For those of you that might be listening to us on Apple podcasts, um, thank you very much for doing that. If you guys have the ability over in the podcast section, if you wouldn't mind going over and hitting that like button and also giving us a rating, what that is going to do for people is it's really going to help people find the podcast when they do a search for sobriety podcast or recovery podcast. So if you have the ability to do that, it just takes a few minutes. And if, also, if you'd like to leave any comments, that would be fantastic. Also, I'm always appreciative of those coming through. And um, I always like to take the time to read those. And as always, we are streaming on your favorite podcast app. So if you're catching us maybe on Facebook on the Recovery Revolution Live and you would like to get notifications for this, go to your favorite app that you normally stream podcasts on, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. Those are some of the major ones that we're listed on currently. And you can always add us there. And so you will get notifications every week when our episodes post at the end of the week on Fridays. And sometimes they post on Saturdays, depending on which app you are using. So again, really excited about the new year this year. We have a lot of great content coming up for you guys. Our guest today is going to be amazing. The show is going to be amazing. And I want to let you guys know that I have been asked to be a co-host on a live stream. And this live stream, it now takes place on Monday nights for the rest of the month. We are going to be announcing, though, at the end of this month, starting next month, we will be starting our stream on Thursday nights. The stream starts at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and you can catch us at Recovery Revolution Live on Facebook and also the Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. So we're going to have multiple places. Um, the stream is amazing. It's recovery-based. We bring on guests. They talk about recovery, and they talk about their stories. And there are three hosts, myself included, uh, Brett Morris, who is also the host of 
the Recovery Survey podcast. We have JR, who is the owner of the Recovery Revolution Live. And we also have the amazing, the amazing Ashley. And she is our guest for today. So I'm going to uh, get to the show so that you guys can hear the intro music. We're going to have a commercial play. Always appreciative of you guys listening to that. And then we're going to start talking to Ashley. So we'll see you guys on the other side. Welcome to the Drunken Worm Podcast. My name is Carl, your host and creator of this podcast. Each week, I will be bringing you dynamic content that will educate and inspire. This podcast was created to talk to mental health professionals about addiction, recovery, and their own personal stories that can inspire us to become better people and live healthier lives. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey guys, are you looking for a backstage pass? How about a behind-the-scenes look at this podcast? Well, I have exciting news for you. Starting October 1st, we will be opening the doors to the Drunken Worm Podcast and letting our listeners join in the fun and conversation. Check out the different ways that you can support this show and gain access to exclusive content, such as free Drunken Worm Podcast merchandise for one full year. Join an exclusive community where you can talk to other members, vote on upcoming show topics, hear exclusive audio footage from interviews each month, receive a personal shout-out on an upcoming episode, and stay up to date with the Drunken Worm Podcast monthly newsletter so that you can stay informed about upcoming guests, show topics, and community news. With four different pledge options to fit any budget, you can flex your power and become a super fan today. All right, guys, and welcome to the episode today again, episode number 20, and happy Friday to everybody, or maybe Saturday, depending on what day you might be listening to this podcast on. And I have to tell you, man, this year has been moving by so fast. I can't believe that we are almost, almost halfway through the month of January. I mean, it really just feels like we had Christmas happen and and Thanksgiving last year. Um, so, you know, the year is moving by quickly. I hope that all of you out there are having a wonderful beginning of your year. Uh, we are going to be talking a little bit about new year's resolutions on this episode, um, with Ashley, Ashley Grimes. Uh, she's amazing and I'm so excited to have her on the show. So Ashley and I met when we were co-hosting the recovery revolution live podcast and um she is just amazing i really like her um we've been talking offline um in fact we we have the stream going with um brett jr ashley and i and um lots of shenanigans that happen <laughs> on that text stream um but you know uh just really fortunate to be able to meet people like ashley uh, because of podcasting and because of recovery. And that's what this whole show is about, the the ability to bring you guys um, people and information across the United States, across the world, and we can share our stories of recovery and also talk a little bit about the recovery industry. And that's another reason why I had Ashley come on today. So Ashley is currently the president of NAMI Florida, and NAMI is an organization that supports recovery and also the professional industry of recovery. And so um, we're going to have Ashley come on. And Ashley, how are you doing today? 
Good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time. You're over in Florida, so we're recording this at 5 p.m. Uh, in California, so 8 p.m. your time. So thank you very much for taking the time. I know that you're in school, and I know that you work like 500 jobs. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, again, thank you very much for taking the time out of your schedule and, and kind of last minute, too. So I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's the battle of Disney World versus Disneyland tonight. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, I should have worn my um, my Disney hat today. Oh, darn. Okay, for the live stream, we're going to have the Battle of Disneylands on I one know. of our we can we do a can we do a Disney themed uh stream one night? That would actually be a lot of fun. It would. <laughs> Everybody loves Disney. Every you know, I ask that. I asked that and I asked Brett that the exact same question when he was on the podcast and I said, what is your favorite Disney character? And he said, man, don't, don't hate me, but I don't really do Disney. And I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, he is, he is. Yeah. He is from Texas. So I guess we can, we can excuse him. They they don't have the magical kingdom over there. (laughs) They just have cows with big horns. (laughs) Everything's bigger in Texas. That is right. magical with Disney. That's right. Everything is magical at Disney. So um, if any of you are Disney fans out there, um, please uh, share the love for Disneyland, Disney World. Um, are, are you guys open for letting people into Disney World over in Florida right now? We are. We've been open for months. And wow. Months. That's great. I know they were doing Disneyland here. And my Facebook before I went off of Facebook and my Facebook was blowing up of like all of my friends were hitting Disneyland, but they said it was really cool because they were, had to make a reservation and there, they limited the amount of people that were in the park. So there weren't a lot of really long wait times for the rides and, you know, capacity was only maybe, I think probably 65% capacity. So, you know, for Disneyland, that's pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't. It hasn't been like that here. No, um, we've been open for a really long time, and everything's pretty open. Yeah, yeah. How is how is Florida doing in the pandemic over there? Are you guys, um, are are you guys still on kind of restrictive lockdown terms, or have things opened up for you? We weren't really ever on very restrictive <laughs> lockdown. Um, they they did have like. Um, the beauty salons and those kind of things closed massage parlors, but they've been open, like I said, for six months at least now. Okay. Um, so it's, you know, states like Florida and Texas with the Republican yeah. governors, we've been open. Yeah. 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 You know, and that's, that's, um that's always been a, a thing, you know, we, it's, it's sticky to talk about, um, different stuff with different states and everything, but I'm glad that you guys are are surviving over there. I'm glad that you guys are able to go out and and you know and do what you can do and and all of that stuff. California was a little bit different. We had some pretty like hard lockdown periods where they they shut everything down even after the first initial two lockdowns that we had. You know, then then we could only do dine out or dine uh, takeout at restaurants and we had to go and, and you could only have one person from your party come in and pick up the food. And, you know, there was like no waiting in the restaurant. They'd make you wait in your cars and, you know, and all that stuff too. So, but, you know, I, I just hope that everybody across the U S is safe and, 
Um, you know, if you decide that you want to get a booster, great. If you decide that you don't want to get your shots, you know, that's, that's great too. Um, you know, all, all of us have our own decisions to make and everything, but Ashley, wow. I am so happy to have you on the show because you and I literally met, I think about three weeks ago when I did my first um, stream on as a guest on the recovery revolution. And then Jr. contacted me uh, a couple of days after the show. And he said, Hey man, I really want to get you on as a co-host. And I was like, great man, because I really loved, I loved doing that episode with you and Brett. And, um, I, I thought we had a great time doing the episode, you know, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, JR's amazing too. I'm, I is. met him in Las Vegas. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. At Mobilize Recovery. I I want all four of us to get together. Like we 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 need to come up with a somewhere that we can all meet because I I think that the four of us it's it's really a powerhouse. Like I I think that you know Brett is Brett's like the young one, right? Cause he, he does all the, the crazy, well, I do too, but he does all the crazy memes and everything. And I feel like he and I often have like meme wars, um, <laughs> on, on the tech stream. And then JR is the, the, uh, the kind of the responsible dad of the group. Like, Oh my God, you guys have been busy. Um, <laughs> was his comment today on the stream when we were like going on and on and on. And yeah. So, um, and then you are, you are like our, I kind of feel like you're almost like my younger sister that, you know, that we're all like, kind of like brothers and sisters on this thing. I, I don't know if you felt that way, but like just kind of the banter that goes back and forth between all four of us. It's pretty, pretty great. And sometimes you make me feel old cause I'm looking at your memes and I'm, I have no idea what you guys are trying to say to each other. And I'm like, <laughs> maybe I should just keep my mouth shut cause I'm going to interpret this completely <laughs> wrong. No, tell me, tell me if you don't get it. Tell me if I'm like, if I'm like, you know, like the Atari memes and stuff. You so you know, yeah. yeah let let me know. I'll I'll fill you in. I'll give you the four one one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can catch me up. I'm a little behind. <laughs> That's okay. I'll definitely get you caught up on those. So Ashley, you are in recovery. How long have you been in recovery now? Um, it'll be five years in May. Okay, cool. Yeah. You and I are, um, are in the same. Okay. So we are in the same year, year 2017. And I know that we've had this conversation before, but let's have it again so that the people on, on listening, uh, kind of understand. So what is your clean date? It is May. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure the exact day. Like okay. it was one of those things that it was, so it would have been earlier, but I accepted a prescription from a doctor, mm. and so I, I make it May was when I got that prescription in, when that prescription was done. So I'm not sure the exact date. So okay. I, I used the end of May, like as of you know June first, to yeah. celebrate that it's been five years. Yeah. Okay. Great. So five years coming up. Uh, it's awesome. How do you feel after five years? How does that feel for you? It's so crazy because that first year was so hard. And then like at year three, it was like so much started changing. And then at year four, it's like even more is changing and it's Mm -hmm. getting even better. And I'm like, you know, it's, I try not to look at dates, but I'm like five years, like that what's an 85% chance, you know, that you'll stay in recovery forever. And it's like, that's like, the goal is to get to five years and then, yeah. you know, it's first, it was a year and then it just 
I don't know, I blinked and now it's almost five years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I, I really feel the same way. Like that first year was, it was a whirlwind of, um, trying to find balance in my life, you know, balancing, going through my, my rehab, balancing, starting school, balancing, um, you know, working two other jobs by the end of my first year and, um, really just trying to like figure everything out as much as I could, but also knowing that there was going to be a lot of stuff that I wasn't going to be able to figure out too. Did you feel that way too? Yeah. Um, and then I also, I was going through divorce Mm -hmm. custody battle that first year. Um, you know, my substance use disorder was used against me, you know, for my kids. So I didn't see my kids for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, so that first year was really, really hard. It, It made me doubt, you know, my belief in God. It made me doubt if recovery was worth it. It made me doubt if life was worth it. Yeah. But it was like it was those hard times were really preparing me for good times. It was like a building blocks. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and those building blocks are something that we still continue to build on too. Well, at least I find that I continue to build on them. Um, and you talked about your second and third year. Um, for, I think for me, my second year. So I was. So I've completed one round of steps, and I'm in my second round of steps right now. And it's, it, it's great because the second round of steps for me is like crazy because it's so much more in depth and I'm getting into like so much more on the, in, in that process. Right. Um, but for me, the second and third year kind of felt like, I don't know, maybe the, maybe just the second year and then into the third year, um, it really kind of felt like it was on autopilot cause I was going to school. I was working in my first rehab um, as an intern, and then I got hired on as a full-time counselor. So I quit my other two jobs, and then I was like, cool, I can just work on, you know, my clinical hours as a substance abuse counselor and, you know, and started working on all of that. And, And then by the third year, that's where I really noticed the change because that's when I took on um, I had started working for Acadia Healthcare as a counselor and, um, you know, and, and I've, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I used to sit at that gate and I would sit there and I would be like, you know, am I really qualified for this job? Like, why did they hire me? <laughs> you know, I was an, I was an intern at my last job that got hired on full time, but you know, I still hadn't taken my testing exam. I still hadn't completed all, you know, the 3000 hours at that time that I needed. And so, um, you know, for me, I think working at that job really kind of showed me that, you know, hey, I have the ability to do this and I need to stop doubting myself. Did you ever come across any like self-doubt or anything early in recovery about, you know, kind of the direction you're going? Um, All the time. I still have self-doubt. Yeah. I mean, but the big thing was that someone believed in me before I believed in me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that it's amazing what you can do when someone believes in you and and puts their faith in you and, you know, rallies behind you. Um, I mean, I went back to school in 2020 with 32 credit hours from college from back in 2003 when I'd originally gone. 
and I was done um, June of 2021. So mm-hmm. I completed three years in a year, and this was during you know COVID lockdowns, and um, it was you know I, I was a temp for mm-hmm. the company that I work for now. Yeah, and um, they hired me on full time, and I wasn't qualified at all. And you know during that time, like I said, went back to school. Um, and then I applied from MBA and I was like, I'm going to apply at the best school in Florida, but the best return on investment, Mm -hmm. you know, because I was tempting fate. I was hoping that, you know, I would have an excuse not to get in because it's the best one. Like I, I, you know, if I didn't do it, then I had an excuse. I didn't get in. Right. But then I got in and I'm like, here's this person that a year ago didn't have a college degree. They mm-hmm. just got into the best business school in Florida. Yeah. And then, you know, like I was asked to join the board of a recovery community organization. Mm-hmm. And then they asked me to be on their executive committee as an officer. Mm-hmm. And then I was asked to join NAMI's board and, mm-hmm. you know, I was just elected their president. It's like 2020, like before May of yeah. 2020, I didn't even have a college degree. Yeah. And now I have a, I've gone and gotten my PMP certification. Mm-hmm. I have a scholarship from IMA um, to get my CMA. I'm in grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just crazy. Like I would have never pictured. Yeah. It is. It is kind of yeah. crazy, isn't it? If if we look back, I mean, you're you're a little bit ahead of me in in the uh, in your recovery date. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I feel the same way. Like it's so crazy on how my life has changed in the four years that I've just over four years now that I've been sober compared to where I was and where I was four years or four and a half years ago. Like, um, yeah, it's just, it's astonishing to me. You know, if if we work a program and if if we start working on ourselves, how much we can actually change and how quickly that change can happen. So, congratulations on all your success. I mean, it's it's really, um, it's really astonishing on on what you've achieved so far. What what was the process like for you, kind of adapting to going to school? And had you been away from school a long time, or? Mm-hmm. Since like 2004. Okay. Yeah. So, so same here. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what was that like going back to school for you? Well, I went online, um, you know, it was during the pandemic. Everybody seemed to kind of stop what they were doing because, and I've never been one to do what everyone else is doing. So obviously, <laughs> you know, I went back to school when everybody else was taking a step back and yeah. we don't know what's going to happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, I went the other direction. Yeah. Um, but it was, I think it saved me during the pandemic. Honestly, it school opened these like windows and doors and it opened the world up mm-hmm. to these things. I didn't even know existed. Um, and you know, with the isolation, you needed something to open the world up and it gave me a focus that was not like, you know, letting the world suffocate me and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. all the anger, like I was moving towards a goal and mm-hmm. it just really helped. 
Yeah. You know, and uh, setting setting those goals. Um, I th- we talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago on the uh, live stream. But having a goal set for myself really helped. And I found that, you know, like if if I talk about doing something and not really try to set myself up for success when I'm doing it, I'm probably not going to follow through with it. You know, like if I, if I say, well, I'm going to, you know, go off and, um, you know, go to school to do this, but I actually don't go and register for the classes. And it's just more like a, a process that I can talk about the likelihood of, of myself not following through with that is pretty high. And so what I've learned is that if I want to do something, you know, I just go out and I do it. And, you know, part of the fear of doing stuff like that for me initially was like, what if I fail doing it, you know? But um, Danny Trejo made a, a comment and he said he would rather um, shoot for the stars and miss than aim for the gutter and succeed. And um, I, I really kind of stuck with me because even if I'm shooting like coming way up here and looking at things like, man, I can I can go so high with this, you know, at least I'm not going down below and, you know, making that making that come true for myself, because that's the way that I used to live. Well, and I think I mean, that's a great quote, and I think it's also you know, you don't have to have it all figured out. I didn't know what yeah. I was going to school for when I started. I don't know what I'm doing with my life right now. I don't know what, what mm-hmm. I want to be when I grow up. Yeah, That's okay. I'm still taking the steps to build the foundation so that when I figure it out, it doesn't take 10 years to get there. Like I've already done the groundwork. And so I think that everybody thinks they have to have it figured out or they have mm-hmm. to be locked into one thing. And yeah. That's not the way life works. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, doing the podcast thing, that was that was purely, I, I don't know if, if the pandemic hadn't happened, I don't know necessarily if I would be doing a podcast right now because, you know, I just, I was like, I, I kind of felt like towards the middle of the first lockdown that we had, I was like, well, life is too short to be like screwing around and you know, saying, you know, what if I had done that? And I'd always wanted to do a podcast. So, you know, I just kind of, I was like, well, you know, I have a background in audio um, engineering and I, I know what I need to do. It's just a matter of raising money. And so I put together a Facebook uh, thing and raised uh, over a thousand dollars in about four days. So, you know, it just, it, it just proves you and I both prove that, you know, we don't have to have fear hold us back and, and limit us from being successful, even if we don't know kind of what the direction is of that. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, probably my most empowering moment when it comes to that is going to be the weirdest moment ever. Mm-hmm. But when I was fighting for custody of my kids, the judge asked me, so, you know, you've been in recovery for almost a year. Um, you know, what step are you on? And I'm like, oh, crap, like, <laughs> because, you know, like, you're supposed to be honest. And and I made a promise, like, if I was going to live in recovery, I was going to be honest, because yeah. it's the only way to, to be able to keep the recovery going. So, mm-hmm. you know, I told her, I was like, well, I'm, you know, I've accepted that I'm powerless. And, you know, I'm trying to give up control. But, you know, 
there's a lot of times that I take that control back. Like I, you know, I, I give it up. I know that, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that I can't control everything, and, but yeah. I just keep taking it back. And I'm like, so I can't really tell you that I've made it very far in these steps in this last year. And she's like, you know what? She's like, that's the first time I've ever believed anyone that's talked to me on the stand about what step they're on. She's like, I've had people tell me they're, you know, it's they're three months into recovery. They're yeah. going through the steps for the second time. She's like, I've never had someone tell me that, you know, they're having a hard time going to step two, step three. You know, like she's like, that's pretty, you know, honest. And she's like, it shows that you're taking it seriously because you're really thinking about the fact you're not just saying, oh, I completed this. You're saying, well, I've completed it, but then I take a step back because Mm -hmm. I take it back. And she's like, and that was some like the moment that things changed with my custody battle. I mean, I have my kids here in Florida now full time. Yeah. And you would think that like saying, you know, I'm a screw up. I can't even get the steps done. Right. Like mm-hmm. would be like, what would make someone trust me? Yeah. But it, it did. And it was so empowering. Cause I'm like, I can be a mess. And as long as I'm just honest, like it's going to be okay. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, honestly, um, we, we, we talked about that a little bit on our, our, um, our, our chat thing and, and, you know, and, and honestly, so honestly, honesty is, uh, the best practice I have found that, you know, um, I, I'm so, I was so tired of, of living all the lies and like trying to keep track of everything. Cause that was like the hard part for me, but I thought I had it down. Right. I would be like, you know, I could, I could spin a lie to anybody. And, and that was like, I was actually kind of proud of that, um, as weird as that might seem. Um, but you know, now I've found, and especially in early recovery, I found that, um, you know, to be honest was like really felt freeing for me to be able to, to own up to something that I did. And my coworkers were like, man, you're just so honest. And I'm like, but there's no reason not to be honest. It's because when we try to hide shit, you know, and we try to do stuff, it's that's when the problems come in. Cause now people are like, but you said this and now, now you're backpedaling and you're like, well, what I meant to say and what had happened was, um, you know, the, the infamous last words. Um, but yeah, so, so for me being honest is like, I, I really enjoy the freedom that I get from being honest too. And I think that there's a big difference between being honest and, you know, the verbal throw up. You don't have to over tell people stuff just to be honest, but you know, some, you know, especially because, you know, we've all been in the rooms and you have, you hear things and you have to keep them to yourself. Mm -hmm. And just because you're honest doesn't mean you go and you tell someone's junk to somebody else. Cause that's, you know, not ethical or what it's about either. It's, but if somebody asks you a direct question, then, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or you say, I can't tell you, you know, instead of just, I don't know, it's, but to me, that's been like, and, and the more research I do and stuff, they're, they're talking about the pathways in the brain, how mm-hmm. um, they didn't used to think that you could um, like fix the brain. And, you know, there's these like parallel pathways that make when you, you do like good things. And so like service and, you know, telling the truth, they're like parallel pathways to 
the lying and the deception and, yeah. you know, hurting people like that happens during active addiction. So it's like, if you make the, the parallel pathway stronger mm-hmm. and you do it for longer, then your chances of staying in recovery seem to be better. I mean, yeah. who knows that really happens, but. Absolutely. Well, I, I like to think that it would happen, right? Because, um, you know, I've, I've, before I've lived in this world of, you know, um, how can I describe it? So like, I'm, I'm the type of person, like I said before, like if I want to get something done, I'm going to put myself in the proper mindset to do it. I'm not going to live on the, on the mindset of, well, maybe it's going to happen or maybe it's going to work out. Right. I'm pretty positive, uh, when it comes to, um, like, I, I don't want to say willing myself into things, but having that mindset where like, I'm like, okay, if, if I can put the right amount of energy into this, then it's the probability of this working out for me is going to be a lot greater than if I just kind of live on other people's aspirations and say, well, you know, maybe it's going to work out or, you know, but, oh, but they, they've got to do this over here. They've got to do that. And, you know, and, and, and now we're starting to put into our heads the idea that, you know, it's, it's on other people if it's going to work out. But the reality is how I feel about it is it's really on us if it's going to work out. You know, I, I don't like to rely on other people or, or things when I, when I don't have to. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's taking accountability when you, yeah. you know, when you put it on yourself, you're taking accountability for, Hey, if I don't do this, it's not going to work out. If I do do this, it may work out. I mean, mm-hmm. if you don't try or you don't do that, whatever it is you're trying to do, it's, it's not going to work out. Just like, you know, he said, reach for the stars, you know, if you don't ever reach, you're never going to get to the stars, whether right. y- you know you're going to or not. It's you're a hundred percent not going to. Yeah, you're gonna either you're gonna stay right where you're at because you're you're living in something that's comfortable for you, which is another thing, right? Living living in the discomfort is always healthy for us. As as crazy as that sounds, but you know if if you don't have those aspirations to make uh, life better for yourself or you don't feel like you can do something, um, and especially when it comes to being in recovery and stuff, because before, you know, we've just had so many things tell us that we're not worth anything and, and that, you know, that negative self-talk that we that we do to ourselves and stuff. It's It's so detrimental to us to put us in a mindset of this, you know, well, it's probably not going to happen mindset rather than like with you going back to school and, and my friend, um, Roshan, she is, uh, amazing. She just finished her master's program and she said, Hey, I've got a few extra months before they actually do the graduation thing for me. So I took another class. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, why not? I'm like, wow. Okay. That's awesome. So, you know, but it's, it's that type of mindset that we, that I think it's really kind of healthy for us to get used to putting ourselves into, and we don't have to be there all the time, you know, cause I think that would be exhausting, but, um, it's, it's good to have a, a good mindset as into, if you want to do something, you have the ability to do it. The only thing that's going to hold you back is your own self doubt and fear. And I think it's, you know, it's pretty common 
especially, you know, people in recovery, especially early recovery is, I know for me personally, what put me, you know, in active addiction was I never felt like I fit in. I never felt like I was good enough, thin enough, pretty enough, like Mm -hmm. any enough. I didn't feel like I was enough. So pain medicine dulled that. It numbed it. It let me fit in and slowed my brain down. So, you know, then when you get the substances Mm -hmm. out of your system, you're, you still don't feel like you're enough. And now you don't have the the substance masking that feeling. Right. So, but over time, you know, it, it, you get that self-esteem in different ways and it it doesn't have to be going back to school. Mm -hmm. You know, some people, they start working out and that's where they find their self-esteem. There's people that, you know, there's, they give back in other ways. Um, Mm -hmm. They volunteer. Um, I mean, anything that, you want to do it, even if it's just going to work and coming home, like yeah. that's enough. Everybody's enough just the way they are. And I, I think that's something that I wish I could get, find some way to make people understand is even during active addiction, you're enough. Mm-hmm. Like it, no matter what you do, no matter what decision you make, no matter, you know, what crime you commit, like you mm-hmm. are enough that your actions aren't, don't define who you are and if you're enough. Yeah. Yeah. I I like how you put that where your actions do not define who you are. And that's another one of the sayings that I love is that, you know, um, so, so one of them that kind of ties in with that is that we don't have to live like that anymore, right? That we can pull ourselves out of this mindset of, you know, all of the stuff that we had in addiction and that mindset that we had where, you know, we're talking about ourselves and negative self-talk and self-doubt and all these things, right? And we can, we can break the stigma of that and break away from all of that. The other thing that's really important to remember is that, you know, when when you get knocked down, and especially with people in addiction, um, they get knocked down. But what happens is when they stand back up, who do they want to become? And I love telling my clients this because it, it's very impactful for them. And I say, when you stand back up off the ground, you've come into rehab now, you've gotten knocked on your ass, and that's okay. Now we're going to stand you back up. And now you have the ability to become anybody that you want to be. Who do you want to have the world perceive you as? Who do you want to be seen as? Do you want to be seen as the junkie that just came out of rehab? Or do you want to be seen as somebody that's responsible and successful in recovery? But they have the choice of making that decision for themselves. And I think fear holds a lot of them back from making the decision of being responsible because they've never had the ability to be responsible before. And so there's a lot of fear about, you know, well, how do I go about doing that? And you know, and what'll, what will that feel like for me? What will that look like for me? And so that's why it's so good to, when they come into treatment is to educate them on pro-social skills, pro-life skills, um, you know, money management skills, and all of these things that a lot of people take for granted because they've been doing it since they got out of high school or college. And But for the addict, a lot of this stuff is unlearned or just not learned at all because of the time that their addiction has started. That's so true. I mean, think about veterans too. I mean, especially when they went to the Vietnam war and, you know, they Mm -hmm. left young, they never had to learn how to balance their checkbook or pay rent. You know, they, 
you know, gave their lives to service and they were, you know, they always had a place to live and, you know, food there. And then you come back to the United States and, you know, people wonder why, you know, a lot of veterans are homeless and it's because those learned activities, I mean, when someone doesn't teach you those and Mm -hmm. you get to 30, 40, 50 years old and you've never learned how to manage a checkbook or pay rent, like, it's not your fault. You don't know how somebody didn't teach you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm a product of the military myself and, um, you're, you're so right because in the military and especially if you're new in the military, I mean, everything is taken care of for you. I mean, literally all you do is collect a paycheck and they don't pay us a lot in the military. You know, we're not making hands full of money, but really I think the only bill that I had, well, back then, so we had so this is going to show you how old I am. Um, we had, we had these portables that we had to go to to make long distance or phone calls, um, and we we had these MC. Do you know what MCI? They're they're a telephone company, and so we had MCI cards that we had to go in, and they had like it was a portable. So you walked in. I, I don't even think there was like a a reception or anything, but you just found like an open, uh, you know, what they call a phone booth. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with those. Um, I know what a phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we like go into this phone booth and you lock yourself and well, not lock yourself, but you close the door. And so we'd have all these, these, um, these calling cards and stuff. And so I think really the only thing that I was like, really my only bills in the military because we didn't have cell phones then, because it was still in the early 90s, late, um, early 2000s. So cell phones were just coming out. And pagers uh, were kind of popular. So if you had a pager, right, somebody could page you. So the only thing that I really had to support was my smoking habit at the time, cigarettes, um, buying my, my phone cards. And I didn't even have a car at the time. So, but everything else was provided for us. And so when I got out of the military and jumped straight into addiction, I never took the time to have these life skills taught to me because I didn't care about the life skills because my only thought now was how do I support my addiction? And, you know, and I, I managed my money fairly well when it came to my addiction towards the end, but you know, it just, it it was a train wreck for 17 years of, you know, not learning anything that was going to be helpful for me now that I've gotten into recovery. And so like, I'm, I'm looking at getting my own apartment now and that scares the shit out of me. Like, I'll be honest. It's like really scary because it's so expensive here in California. And I was talking to my boss the other day. And so I, I told her, I said, Hey, I've got two bank accounts and I want to set one of them up as my bills account. And then I want to set the other one up as my personal play money account. And so we've been working on that the past couple of days to to try to facilitate getting all of my bills transferred over to coming out of one account and then setting up the direct deposit to deposit. Like I, I think I have like $800 out of each check going into my bills account. So, but you know, but these life skills that a lot of people take for granted um, you know, as addicts, these are new and scary things for us. And we just, you know, I, I've, at times I feel very unsure of myself, but I know that I have a lot of people that I can rely on and that I can talk to. Well, I think it's important, you know, that people know 
that they're not alone and, yeah. you know, not knowing how to do this. And it's great that somebody at work is willing to help you yeah. Yeah. get it, you know, situated. I mean, I think that everyone needs to know that not everybody has it figured out. I think we, we all pretend like we have it figured out yeah. and it's does a disservice to people because yeah. they think in their heads. I mean, it happens to me all the time. I'm like, I'm such a hot mess. And everybody's like, you look like you've got it all together. And I'm like, <laughs> but if you only knew, <laughs> right. Like, and you know, I'm like, you do realize like I'm in recovery. I'm late to everything. Like, you know, and it's like, right. and I'm like, you, you realize that like, there's days I don't get dressed and like, <laughs> right. I work remote a couple of days a week, but I'm like, I'm like, oh, I have to wear, you know, clothes that are, it's not jeans to school. Like, oh. wait, what? And it, they were not allowed to wear jeans in business school. Oh, I, I, I oh, wouldn't have yeah. applied if I would have known that. That would have been an excuse. Don't worry. <laughs> but um, it's just like, but it's, you know, we look at our other people and we look at it from this lens that they have it together. And, you know, people look at the stuff that I've accomplished and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, she's, she's got it together. Yeah. I do not have it together. I'm a hot mess. Just like everybody else. Yeah. Do you find that you make like, so I I've been doing this, so I've gotten into like, um, uh, okay. So this is the honesty part, right? Um, I do my step work and I type my step work. Um, I, I don't write my step work, but I talked to my sponsor and he's okay with it. Um, but here's the other honesty part is that I bought this dictation program and I've gotten really good at the dictation program. And so like I can write essays and I can do like bullet points and everything just by dictating to my computer. And then it like translates it into Microsoft word and it like does all these things. Right. And so I've, I've gotten really good at doing my step work because I just start my number line and I just go, go next line and it automatically numbers it for me. And so my step work I do in like about two days out of the NA step working guide for usually each step. And um, it's, it's really crazy because um, you have like all of these other people that say they write stuff out. But when I get into writing things out, it's the planning part for me. And I have pads of paper in my office and I will, I'll like write everything out on a pad of paper. And it just, it helps me so much to visualize, you know, that type of stuff and to visualize when you're writing things out and, um, cause I'm a very visual person and, um, you know, but that's that honesty part that we talk about when we talk about, you know, being an honest program. And I don't know if my sponsor listens to this show. <laughs> But, well, I'm sure they'll tell you if they yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm gonna I'm I gonna say I'm gonna tell them and be like, "Hey, you got to listen to this episode." <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna call myself. I don't out think there's it. anything wrong with using dictation or typing. I mean, you're still doing it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like when I write it out, I get real into the weeds because all like write pages and pages, and then I'll never go back and look at it, or I'll be like, "What was I trying to say?" Yeah. Yeah. Exactly there's something about writing it for me. Like I don't like to type it mm. even school stuff. They want to, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, we send out the PowerPoints. You don't have to take notes. I'm like, there's just something about writing it that 
Yeah. Like, it's in my brain then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And writing it actually reinforces it. It's one of the study skills that we had to learn in school on how to study and and, and learn material. Um, you know, we, we would sit there and uh, we would have these classes. And so our teacher would put us up on, she had this huge whiteboard that went across the whole front of the classroom. And so she would have four of us go up to the whiteboard. I mean, it was that big and she would say, okay, we're going to, we're going to have a race. And we had to race, uh, what was called the 12 core functions. And, um, she would have us write them out, but to learn that, I was going through and um, I was doing everything by hand. And I remember we would go to the library and we would sit there and we would have all of these um, people sitting around a table and, and we would literally go through the whole study hall. Nobody would talk and we would just write all this stuff out. And it was absolutely crazy to see how much you could memorize by writing it and reading it and then writing it again. And by writing it, you're actually implanting it into your memory. So for anybody out there that is looking to do any testing where you have to memorize massive amounts of information, I found for myself, and maybe Ashley can also, um, you know, maybe you agree to this too, because it's kind of sounds like the same process for you where when you're writing something out, you actually help kind of commit it to memory a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't study very much for tests, and that's. Yeah. But if I don't take notes, then I would bomb them. So I, I guess what you're saying is right. I remember it if I write it. Yeah, yeah, but then also the um the process of reading it out loud too. You know, so that we're engaging all of our senses. I don't know. It worked for me. So I would write it, I would read it out loud, and then I would I would take the paper and I would start all over again. Yeah. You're very dedicated. Dedicated to the cause. Well, this was a midterm that we had to practice for, and it was like five pages long of just like facts that we had to memorize. And I figured if I could get maybe like 40, 45 or maybe 65% of the facts committed to memory, then I could start to chisel off and say, okay, well, if this was true for these, then, you know, then this would apply to other areas on the test and, and, um, everything. But my grade was so high in the class. Like I figured even if I got an F on the test, I would still get an A in the class. So I don't know. (laughs) I think these are like, even though that was that was before you're in recovery, right? No, this was this was recently when I um became a counselor. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, it's like, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, active addiction and that stuff is like has hurt. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean it does hurt lots of different things, but it gives you this resiliency and like these coping mechanisms and like you think outside the box mm-hmm. and you're able to do like these amazing things because you like develop these coping skills and you know it's it's amazing to me to watch people in recovery like achieve things because they don't mm-hmm. do it linear like in a linear line and they don't do it the way yeah i don't want to say normal people would because no mm-hmm. one's normal but it's just they just i don't know you know like i'm a big like i'm a buffalo bills fan yeah and you know like underdogs are like my thing. I love yes. underdogs and yeah, it's yeah. like people in recovery just like come out like 
people count them out and mm-hmm. like they achieve big things. Oh yeah. And it's just because they think outside the box yeah. because they had to for so long. Yeah. I've always, I've always said, and I, I know that I've said this before on, on the podcast, but you can place an addict in the middle of the desert and all they have are the clothes on their back. And that addict is going to come out in active addiction. It's going to come out with either a bag of dope or a bottle of, or a bottle of booze guaranteed. I mean, it's, we're just that resourceful. Like we're going to make some shit work. And, you know, and if we take all of that energy that we use to make sure that our active addiction worked for us, and now we can use that energy to make sure that life works for us and that we can get through life, then, you know, like you said, the skies are, it's, it's unlimited. We, we can do anything we put our mind to. And addicts are some of the most resourceful and smart people that I know. Oh, yeah. And they're quick on their feet. They're, yeah. you know, their brain processes quicker because they're used to having to live in the, I mean, it's one of the things I've noticed during the pandemic too. It's like, you know, it's been awful for people's mental health, especially people that have never struggled with mental mm-hmm. health before, but um, people that have struggled previous that have these coping skills, it's, it's like they've almost like achieved more during the pandemic because they're used to chaos. They're used to their life being chaos. It's like, okay, the world's chaos. Like, you know, I survived it mm-hmm. once, you know, like it's not the end of the world. Like I'm just going to keep going. And it's like, yeah. they they have this resiliency and they're becoming these like leaders in the mm-hmm. world and the country because they're used to the chaos and it doesn't yeah. affect them the same way it does others. Exactly. Exactly. And that chaos, you know, is something that we thrived on in active addiction. And, um, you know, but we have to learn that it's a different type of chaos that we're dealing with now that we're in recovery. You know, we're, we're not looking at the, um, <laughs> have you seen the movie, um, a thousand junkies it's on Amazon prime. Mm-mm. So it's, it's about this story of these two guys that go on this adventure and they start like seven 30. I think it's like they do a timeline and I think it's like seven 30 in the morning in Los Angeles. And, you know, and they they just wake up and they're like, Oh, we got to go score, you know, our, our re up. And, and they're like, Oh man, but you know, we don't have any money. So who's going to give us a front. And then they meet up with this other crazy guy um, that like knows somebody that knows somebody that can, that will do it for them. And um, then they start calling all these people for money and, you know, and throughout the whole course of the day, like, you know, I don't, I don't remember if they actually get their high at the end of the movie, but it's that chaos that we live in that we were so content in, in that movie. I mean, they nailed it on the head. I couldn't believe it. Like, you know, somebody, somebody there did their research and it was like, you know, they just had just spot on, you know, the car breaks down and then they get robbed. But, you know, I mean, just like craziness going on. It's such a good movie. Um, if, if you have Amazon prime and, and you're looking for a movie to watch a thousand junkies is, is definitely a, um, an interesting look into the, um, into a the day in the life of an addict <laughs> so maybe they talked to someone with lived experience yeah they, they had to have had research. like you know a um somebody on the on the show that was probably in recovery or the movie that was in recovery is kind of like their research person like but okay so if like the car broke down what would the conversation look like 
you know, and like halfway through the movie, they stripped everything out of the car because they were looking for a bag that apparently had been lost like two weeks prior to that. But then the guy came clean and he was like, no, I smoked it (laughs) after they took the whole car apart. And, (laughs) you know, but that was the chaos that I've, I identified so much with that movie and the chaos that went along with that. Well, the crazy thing is, is sometimes like in recovery, the chaos is still there, but like it's different because even though the chaos is still the same, like when I went to Las Vegas for mobilized recovery, everybody's like, having a recovery convention in las vegas like and it was at you know the Westgate. so like there's a casino there and a bar there and they're like they're having a recovery convention like it's in sin city like what are they thinking and i'm gonna tell you like i got home and it had been like a week i was like you know what i didn't even gamble like i didn't even like put a quarter in a slot like just to say that i did or anything like i never even thought about it till a week later and i'm like all this crap was going on around me. People mm-hmm. were drinking. Yeah. Like, you know, like you could smell weed, like in the, you know, like it was, you know, it was all this stuff was going on and I didn't even notice it. And so the chaos didn't really leave, but yeah. my reaction to it or the way I noticed it changed. And mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, definitely the reaction to the chaos and, um, everything when, when you talked about smelling of the weed, um, it actually uh, reminded me of this. Um, so two summers ago when I was working at Duffy's, we had to evacuate because of the wildfires and, um, we ended up evacuating the whole rehab and we went to a hotel in Concord, California and, um, we stayed there for a week and a half. Like we literally took over this hotel. They were so glad to get rid of us by the end of <laughs> our stay there. Cause we, we had like 28 clients. And so we had like, I don't know there. were So we had the guys on like one side of the hotel and then the lobby split the other side. And we had the female clients on the other side of the hotel. And so as staff members at night, I worked the, the first or second night shift and we would take tape and we would put it on the door jam so that we could tell if somebody had like opened the door or not because they had to go to their rooms and it was like lockdown. And, uh, but this was pre pandemic. So shoot, this might've even been, wait, no, not four years, three years ago. How long have we been in the pandemic? One year? Yeah, about one year, just over one year, right? It hasn't been two years. No, 2020, March of 2020. Okay, so yeah, so going into our second year. We two in March. Yeah, so this was the summer right before the pandemic hit. And um, okay. and the people at the hotel, I mean, I could only imagine what our hotel bill was for a week and a half renting out like 28 rooms or something because we had staff member rooms we had client rooms and um and and then we were running the rehab out of the hotel and so we took over their their um place where you would go get your continental breakfast that was our meeting room and our group room and then they had another little group room where we would do uh, because we had a extended care program and so we ran another group right next to the other group. I mean, it was absolutely madness. And so I remember walking through the hotel one night and the, the smell of weed 
was so strong. I mean, it was like we had Willie Nelson's roadies, um, you know, at the hotel or something. Like, I mean, it literally. So we figured out what what room it was, and it wasn't any of ours. But we were so concerned because we were like, oh, my gosh, so this could really trigger some of the clients that have come into rehab to be in a safe, clean environment. And now we have, you know, Willie Nelson's crew sitting next to us here and weeds legal in California. And so we, we talked, I think the clinic or the, um, the CEO of the company went over to the guy's room and was like, Hey, look, like we don't mind if you smoke weed, but what we do mind is that if you smoke weed, um, so (laughs) Do you mind maybe like opening a window instead of opening the door to the hallway? <laughs> you know, but it was just, it was just so like weird. I, I just had to share that. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. We gave hysterical. Narcan at Rockville this year. I don't know if you've ever heard of Rockville, but it's like this big rock concert. Yeah. And um, we gave out Narcan there this year and it was, you could smell weed there too. And yeah. it was like, we, we were really worried we had, you know, board members and then mm-hmm. people that had been in recovery for a while do it. Yeah. But it was so cool to be invited there because it's there was such a need, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Rock concerts and Yeah. So were you guys the Narcan crew that would like go out and monitor and, and you know, and be ready in case somebody uh needed to be re- revived? Well, they had like um medical staff there. They had mm-hmm. Advent Health and then they had um like EMS and, you know, we were just, we were invited by Advent Health to give out Narcan and okay. um, train people to use it. So yeah. we were able to, you know, people were able to come up to us and, you know, take it in case when they left, there yeah. was an overdose or yeah. they needed to bring it home. Okay. Um, yeah. It, and there was people from all over and, you know, they're small enough that, you know, liquid wise, they can go on a plane. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, you've got to, I mean, anybody out there that is that is around opiates, if you're listening to the show and, and, you know, maybe you have some ambivalence, you're on the fence about whether or not you want to stay sober or anything. But if, if opiates are definitely part of your life, um, please go and get Narcan. Uh, that is a tool that will save your life. And I remember I had this client came into a treatment and um, he worked as a security guard uh, armed security and he used to carry Narcan around, but he had an opiate problem. And I remember I was sitting in, in, in a one-on-one session with him and he was telling me about this story of how he would carry Narcan around. And he said, you know, well, what if I had to use it for somebody else? And I, and I looked at him and I said, dude, what if you had to use it for yourself? And would anybody know to use it on you that was on your crew if you collapsed one day because you were too high to function? And um, it's really scary to think about that. And and I think it really kind of put it in perspective to him. Like, you know, he's carrying his own lifeline around with him, but he didn't even realize he was carrying his own lifeline. Well, I'll tell you an interesting story. Mm-hmm. We had a, a lady, she was on the fence about taking it you know she had a son that was an active addiction and she's like you know he he doesn't do anything injectable you know he's not gonna mm-hmm. overdose like i yeah. don't really need it and we're just like well it's good to always have at your house like yeah you know you don't everything's laced these days you know it doesn't have to be something injected it doesn't have to be something taken on mm-hmm. purpose it 
it can be anything. It's, you know, having it in your house is good. It, it, the best case scenario, you, you don't need it, but if you do, it's there. Yeah. So she took it. Well, her son overdosed and she saved him with the Narcan that she got. Wow. Well, three weeks after she saved him from the overdose, she had a heart attack and her son saved her with CPR. Wow. So if she would have never saved her son, you know, he wouldn't have been there to save her. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is insane. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's so common that people don't think that they need it. And then they're just so glad they have it. And that, that off chance, you know, it's, it's a nasal spray. It's, you know, it just, if you don't need it, you don't Mm. need it. And you know, I, I, I keep Narcan all the time and I don't yeah. use opiates. I don't, I, but what if I drive up next to someone at the gas station or yeah. I'd rather have it than not. Exactly. Exactly. We have so much of it at the treatment center, you know, like, cause you, you never know when you're going to have somebody come in or, you know, in, and even it's a sad fact that, you know, in treatment people have drugs sneak in. I mean, hello, we're dealing with addicts. So, um, but to, to educate yourself on Narcan, um, there's lots of videos even online that you can look at. Um, you can go to your primary care physician. Uh, I think you can go to any hospital and pick it up too. Um, but yeah, so Narcan is, is a really good tool, um, and a safety uh, measure to have with you, even if you don't think you might be exposed to somebody with opiates. And if you think that they might be exposed to opiates, and even if you administer it and they're not, it's not going to harm them. It's, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But it's better to be safe than say, well, do you think he used drugs? I don't know. He's been laying there for a long time. Bust it out. Do you know, open it and use it. I, I was so against Narcan when I first got into recovery. And I, I thought it was like saying that it was okay to use drugs that mm-hmm. I was like condoning it. But yeah. that's that's not what it's saying at all. It's saying that your life is worth you know, it's it's worth saving your life. Your your life is worth being you're you're worth being here. It doesn't I'm not condoning yeah. the action or so even if you're against somebody using drugs, having Narcan in your house does not you know, it's not con- it's not saying it's okay to use drugs at my house or anything like that. So Yeah. If yeah. you are against Narcan, I understand I was there <laughs> and I, yeah, I learned and I, I was wrong. Yeah. Well, you know, um, Narcan is definitely a tool that we can use and, um, I'm, I'm glad that it's out there because I mean, just opiates are so rampant throughout the U S and, um, everywhere. And so, um, I always carry a bottle with me in my car and, uh, like Ashley said, you never know when you might come across somebody, um, in, in, I hope that I'll never have to use it, but you know, there's could be a time. Maybe I will have to use it and I'd rather have it there than not have it there and say to myself, man, I wish I had that Narcan. I should have put it in the car. Right. So, yeah. So Ashley, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Everything's laced. I mean, everything, you might think it's something different and then it'll have fentanyl in it. I know someone that was in recovery. He's been, almost a year clean and he couldn't sleep one night and bought like two Xanax on the street and he ended up ha- having an overdose and dying because his Xanax was laced. So, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so rampant. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. The opiate pandemic that we have going on um, or epidemic. I, I don't know wh- whatever you want to call it, but it definitely is a huge problem uh, all over 
the U.S. and all over the world. Um, and you know, and I, I won't go into the politics on the pharmaceuticals making money on on opiates, but um, yeah. So okay, Ashley, we are about time to do a little rapid fire questions. How are you? Are you feeling on your toes tonight? You feel like you could you could get through a lot of questions. Brett only got through two okay. of them. Well, really, we'll have enough to two. Well. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. He 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 actually, he actually got through quite a few. I actually I don't track how many questions people get through. Maybe I should start doing that. You well, know, good. Yep. you can start with me. Huh? <laughs> Episode twenty. Let's start. Exactly. Let's going. Episode twenty. All right. All right, Ashley. It is time for some rapid fire questions. So I hope that you are ready to feel groovy, and we're going to start with some easy ones. All right. Ashley, what is your favorite Disney character? Ariel, the Little Mermaid. Good. All right. All right. What is your favorite board game? Life. Life. There we go. I don't like Monopoly. You don't like? Do <laughs> you don't like Monopoly? Oh, it's my favorite. All right. Have you ever written a song for someone? Not that I know of. Okay. If you could afford any car, which car would you drive? Mm, a Lincoln Navigator. A Lincoln Navigator. That's a good one. All right. Love or friendship? Depends. Mm. Friends are important. Okay. Both is nice. Both? Both? Is that the pick? Okay. Yeah, you can do that. Absolutely. All right. Salty or sweet? Sweet. All right. Morning or evening? Evening. Okay. Cat or dog? Dog. Money or happiness? Happiness. All right. Do you prefer driving or flying? Neither. Neither? Okay. All right. And if you had to pick between an aisle seat or a window seat, if you had to fly, which would you choose? Aisle. Aisle. Okay, that's a good one. I like the aisle seat. All right. Do you have your own Netflix account or do you, you use somebody else's? I have two. You have two? What? All right. And my kids signed up for a second one and <laughs> I just haven't ever canceled it. Okay. Which celebrity annoys you the most? Um... I don't like the guy in Silent Bob. Or, or oh, Pee-wee Jay Herman. I don't like him either. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Jay, and I, okay. I don't like Pee Wee Herman either. Yeah, Pee Wee Herman's a little <laughs> strange. Um, okay. And all right, our last one. What was your last impulse buy? Hmm. A second screen for my laptop. Ooh, that's a good one. What size screen did you get? I think it's 16, 15 or 16. Ooh, that's I have a, that's two 37 inch screens for my regular screens, but this is for a second screen that pulls out from my laptop. Oh, okay. Okay. So it attaches to the side of your laptop. Mm-hmm. It's magnetic. 
Oh. So like if I go like out, it like I have two screens on yeah. my laptop. It's okay. Great. That's awesome. I like that. I like that. I bougie. only have one. Yeah, bougie. That's uh, that is my nickname, by the way. Bougie, bougie Carl. Um, I call my friend Michelle, and she says, "Hey, bougie." I'm like, yes, <laughs> you got it right. <laughs> so, so you need a second screen for your laptop too. I do. I do. I well, I bought the biggest screen I could for my Mac, and um, I have not put a second screen up because I don't think I actually have room on my on my desk for the podcast because I have um these speakers that are up on uh, little stands on the desk and um yeah but at work so when i was at duffy's i had the mount that was on the desk and it kind of telescoped out and then you had your two screens there and i had two screens on my desk there because we would run two different systems and so i would have information from one system on one side and then information from the other system on the other side so you know, sometimes two screens. Although I talked to my friend Matt, who works in recovery, and he had four screens on his desk. And I'm like, dude, are you trading stocks? Like, why do you need four screens? <laughs> well, I have two and then my laptop screen, but I, I normally close the laptop if I don't need the camera. But mine are 37 inches, so they're pretty big. Yeah, 37 inches is really big, actually. I mean, that's like a small television. Yeah, yeah and there's two of them. Wow, you're going to have to send me a picture of that <laughs> we go offline. That'll be interesting. Okay. I'm, I'm interested to see how big that actually looks. Have you seen the ones that yeah, curve, the screens that curve? Mm-hmm. Oh, those are so cool. I love them. I don't know why I love them so much, but they just curve. I'm like, that's so perfect. Like, why wouldn't you want a screen that curves? <laughs> Screen's got so much, like thinner so you can have like a big screen if you have they don't stick out so much yeah yeah exactly i mean well i mean this was before your time but you know our screens used to be small televisions when computers first came out (laughs) it wasn't before my time okay well i was born 84 84 oh okay yeah okay yeah that's right that's right we that that would be more about the oregon trail The Oregon Trail, and you've died of um. Mm-hmm. What what would you commonly die of on that game? It was um, uh, dysphoria or something. Yeah, dysphoria or something like. Or you would go hungry, or your wagon would break down, and your and your ox would die, and you know, poor Johnny. You never died of addiction on Oregon Trail. You you never did. Addiction was definitely not no. part of the story for the Oregon Trail. Um. No. I, th- I think it actually followed the Mormons or something. I'm not sure, but yeah, addiction definitely was not part of the Oregon Trail. God, that game was so much fun, though. So addictive. I, I know. Oh, yeah. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? <gasps> I that love that too. game. Oh my gosh! Oh, that was the best game. And then we also had another game out there. I don't know if you would have known this one. It was called Police Quest, and. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was really like rudimentary and, and you had like these things, but you had to type your commands in and I was horrible at typing. So I'd have my mom play the game for me. So like, like if I got stuck on a level, I'm like, mom, here, just type this in. And, and when this happens, you got to say this. And, um, and like, it was really an interesting, fun game. And then they had like police quest one, two and three 
And then I, yeah, I, I don't know after that. But the other big one I, I did back in way back in the day was Microsoft Flight Simulator. That was my other go to. Never did that, but I did Mario. Yeah, Mario, Mario. Yeah, Mario. In fact, my friend Terry still has her original Nintendo system. And I looked at her serial number, and I think her serial number is pretty low. I think it's actually under a thousand. Um, which mm. is is like one of the original, original, original ones. So, yeah, and it still works. Oh yeah, yeah. She has it hooked up to her TV. Yeah. What? Yeah, with games, and it has a little like racing pad that you had, and the guns for uh, Duck Hunt. Oh, Duck Hunt. Yes, Duck Hunt was. I'm amazing. not even into guns, but Duck Hunt was fun. Yeah, Duck Hunt was fun. That was a lot of fun. So. All right, Ashley. Well, it has been a pleasure to have you on the uh, episode tonight. Um, I really want to thank you for taking the time and coming on. Um, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I have so much fun when we correspond, and um, I love our little offline chat thing that we have going on uh, with with the other two uh, uh, guys on there. And and um, do you do you have anything you want to leave with the audience before we close the episode out tonight? I should be like Brett and say progress, not perfection, right? Yeah, that is right. Progress, not perfection. So, And remember you're worth it. You're, you're enough no matter what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the Drunken Worm Podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening today. You have been listening to the Drunken Worm Podcast. We will be bringing you new content every week. If you would like to follow us, please hit that follow button on your favorite streaming app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Pandora, and iHeartRadio. You may also go to our website, thedrunkenwormpodcast.com, to learn more about the show, sign up for our email club, and visit our blog. If you would like to join the conversation on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also join Carl as he co-hosts the Recovery Revolution live show every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. All the information that was just mentioned will be listed in the show description with clickable links so that you don't miss a beat. Thank you again for joining us this week. Stay well, stay sober, and live your best life. Take care.